0: scripture reading for this morning is Matthew 2, 1 through 11. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the East came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Let's pray. God, thank you um, for the set of part-time right now to be together and to turn our eyes upon you. And I thank you for the gift of Jesus that we're focusing um, our time on, um, the gift that brings us hope. And I pray that you would... um, personally speak that hope and have it permeate into every corner of our hearts um, that it would bring joy to our dark places um, and that we would just know you as our personal friend, our personal savior, um, God with each of us individually and that that would bring comfort um, but that it would spill over into joy. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: All right, so um, Christmas, it's nearly upon us. It's amazing how quickly it's coming. I'm almost ready for Halloween. Man, I'm a little behind. Um, and so what we're doing is we're gonna be taking a break from our uh, series in the Sermon on the Mount uh, to look at uh, various aspects of the Christmas story. And of course, we, you know, we call this season a season of preparation, the season of Advent, where we uh, look forward uh, to the promises of the coming Messiah. But but the question I think that we need to be asking during this season is just what is it that we're supposed to be expecting? What kind of savior do we actually get? Because listen, there's no part of the story of the Bible that is more familiar to us than the Christmas story. And, and I think as a result, it's very easy for us to you know, co- sort of create our own versions of this story, our, our own interpretations maybe of what it means that you know for some they say well Christmas means peace on earth and so we should all just get along with each other or maybe Christmas means uh, it's a season of giving and so we should be more kind to one another or, or maybe it's a season of birth and renewal and we should focus on the hope of what might become but I think it's actually important for us to let the Bible tell its own story of the birth of Jesus And I think when we do, we will find that that story is far more stark and raw than maybe what we're used to, and I hope as a result a bit more relatable to your world today. And so today we're going to be looking at the story of uh, the Magi, these wise men from the East that we often um, sing about, uh, to see what they teach us about this coming Savior. And, And the first thing that I want us to see from this story is how Jesus comes uh, to the earth as a gift for a very dark, dark world. Uh, listen, I, I don't have to tell you that for many people, uh, Christmas can be a, a pretty difficult season. Uh, with all the songs about everybody feeling merry and bright and how it's the most wonderful time of the year, some people might feel a little left out. Frankly, there's, I think, a lot of people who are displaced by that, from that message. It just doesn't resonate With them at all. Um, I was in Lowe's this week returning something and one of the people behind the counter just came right out and said, I hate Christmas. I guess if you have to work retail maybe you would hate Christmas. But you know for some it's it's the loss of a loved one and Christmas brings up the reminders of what's been lost. Uh, For others it's maybe the loneliness of not having family around them and it creates extra sadness over this feeling like I'm the only one. Who doesn't have any family around this time of year Uh, for still others they simply feel the stress and the busyness of the season and so rather than being filled with any good cheer um, all of the expectations of the gifts we got to buy and the family gatherings that we have to run to and all the meals that we have to prepare the stress of it robs them of any joy and of course you know there's also the retail stress if you have to work retail it's an awful place to be. I remember working at Verizon over Christmas. It was awful. I hated it. <laughs> or, but I think as a result, there's, there's a lot of people that just approach the Christmas season with really feeling the opposite of what all the songs and jingles are putting out. They're sad, they're lonely, they're depressed. <laughs> and, and I think it's helpful to return to the original Christmas story to see that feelings like those are really not out of place with how things started. Not at all. I think it's helpful to see that the very first Christmas, the original entry of the Messiah into our world, came at a time of tremendous darkness and hopelessness and pain. Because, listen, here's the context of our story. We're reading here about a mass genocide, right? I mean, just imagine your government trying to find and weed out and eliminate a single child. And in order to do that, they murder every boy under two years of age. I mean, just imagine the helplessness of that, the hopelessness, the sheer terror of what you're facing, and you can't do anything to stop it. And so what we have here in this story is genocide. We have political upheaval. We have murder, we have exploitation, we have sorrow and pain. I mean, even the the story of Mary and Joseph having to be in Bethlehem was because a foreign conquering power was trying to exact more taxes out of its subjects. See, God is breaking into a very dark world. And it's important for us to remember that Christmas isn't just God bringing a cute little baby in swaddling clothes and we can say, oh, how cute, and all the lights, and the magic, and the wonder of Christmas. No, he is actually bringing hope, and light, and life to a very dark world. When the world was at its darkness, God breaks in with the light of his presence, and see, that's when all of us need Jesus the most. It's not when things are easy, but especially when things are hard, and as we approach this Christmas, I think we're all too aware that um, for many of us, it's a darker world than a lot of us have faced in our lifetimes. And we need a Jesus who's able to break in to the darkness to do something about it. You know, it kind of reminds me of the small hobbits, the least likely characters in the Fellowship of the Ring. They're always under attack, right? It always looks like the end is about to come and destroy them all. They're always on the run from orcs and giant spiders and wargs and whatever else they come up across. And at one point, we're told in the story that it, at one of these darkest points, Sam looked up to the sky, and there, peeping among the cloud rack, high up in the mountains, he saw a white star. And the beauty smote his heart, and hope returned to him. For like a shaft, clear and cold, he thought, the thought pierced him that in the end, the shadow was only a small and passing thing, that there was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. Listen, where is darkness consuming your heart today where is there not enough light and hope in your world see Jesus is that light that has broken in to the world and he has the power to destroy that darkness and one day his light will forever consume that darkness so the message is not Merely that God can bring hope and joy to your heart this Christmas season, though he certainly can. But I think what we're learning here is that that the very essence of Christmas is that the light of Jesus overwhelms your darkness. That's the whole reason he came. That's what he came to do. And so look past the cute baby in the stable. Look past the presents and the lights and the trees and see the light of the world. Come to pierce Your darkness and bring you the light and the hope of his presence see Christmas is what we just sang about God with us see the light has dawned and 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 he's with you in your deepest darkness that's the first thing I want us to see but the second thing I want us to see from this passage is that Jesus isn't just a gift for a dark world but he's also a gift for a, a divided world a broken world because I want you to think about who these magi really are. And listen, nowhere does the Bible indicate that there are only three of them. We, you know, uh, Storytellers like to infer from the three gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh that there must have just been three of them and each of them had their, their gift in their hand. It makes for a great story. Uh, but history suggests that this was actually far from the case. These magi often traveled in caravans of 50 to 100 men which is probably why they got the attention of Herod. You know, three dudes showing up on a camel probably wouldn't have brought, gotten any notice uh, from those in the palace, right? Why would they care? But a group this size warranted some investigation. And, and basically, these guys would have been uh, powerful advisors to the Babylonian and Persian empires. They were essentially astrologers, they were experts in the stars and the supernatural. And these guys would have traveled about 1,000 miles to get to Jerusalem. So it would have taken them months, if not years, to make this journey. And so it was a pretty big deal. And King Herod wanted to know what the heck is going on here. This huge caravan showing up from such a, a distant place. And, and I want you to notice the, the question that the wise men asked of Herod when they arrived. They asked him, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? And and do you realize who they are asking that question to? They were asking that question to Herod, who was the king of the Jews. (laughs) And so, of course, um, his hackles would have been up a bit because he was not about to share his throne. I mean, you're talking a usurper? Who in the world are these mystical strangers who aren't afraid to ask me about the king when I'm the king? And so we're told next that Herod was disturbed. I think that's an understatement. And when it says that all Jerusalem was um, disturbed with him, I think reading between the lines, what it means is his outrage was such that everybody was afraid of what this guy might do. And they should have been afraid, uh, as this mass genocide later proves. And so Herod calls the religious leaders of the Jewish community to find out about the Messiah, because these are the guys who are supposed to know about where this mythical Messiah creature was supposed to be born. And they say, oh yeah, sure, we know that one. And they quote from the Old Testament prophet Micah, the Messiah will come from Bethlehem. And so Herod sends the Magi off to Bethlehem to see what's going on and asks them to come and report back to him. And you see, that's the story that we're all used to hearing. But the original hearers of the story... And and I think the scuttlebutt that would have been buzzing around Jerusalem during that time, I mean, these accounts would have been a slap in the face of the Jewish people. I mean, this was unthinkable. It was unimaginable. Because when God does send his Messiah, the religious leaders are going to be the first people to hear about it. And certainly not some superstitious pagan astrologers. Because the Messiah is coming for his special chosen people. He's coming for Israel. And listen, here's the question that they should have been asking. In fact, here's the questions I think we should be asking here today. That is, why in the world are these superstitious magicians from some foreign country, from some pagan religion, why are they the first to hear of it? And why are they the ones who is asking where this Messiah was to be born? And why were the religious leaders not asking? Why the magi? I mean, shouldn't the very people who had been looking for and waiting for and longing for the Messiah for hundreds and hundreds of years, shouldn't they have been the ones who were looking for him? And and more than that, shouldn't the people to whom these promises had been written in the language and in the religion and in the history of the Jewish people, shouldn't they be on the lookout for the Messiah? And how in the world could a bunch of stargazers from some pagan foreign country who didn't have this prophecy, who weren't looking for him, how are these guys the ones who were out looking for him? Why was God intentionally leading this band of magi from this faraway place with this special star? Why was he choosing to reveal the Messiah to them and not to the religious Jewish people? What in the world's going on here? And I think there's... Two lessons, at least, that we can draw from this story. And the first is that I think that the people who should have cared didn't. The people who should have been the most excited about the prospect of the coming Messiah didn't show an ounce of curiosity. I mean, what was happening was so far outside of their grid of expectation that they didn't even think about checking this out to see if it might be true. I mean, God would never come to some pagan foreign magicians when his faithful teachers of the law are right here waiting for him. But they missed him. They didn't even look. I mean, think about this. Some guys come asking where the Messiah was to be born. And they say, we've come to see it, it's here. And and the religious leaders even quote from the Old Testament prophecy in Micah that says, yes, the Messiah will come out of Bethlehem, but they must have just been mocking these guys to suggest that they take that short trip because to them it was ludicrous. But, and, and here's the lesson, they, they were too proud of what they already thought they knew to check out something that was way beyond what they knew. And listen, if, I think this is how we can apply this to ourselves. If, if Christmas does not move you today, you know if it's just background noise that you've heard every year that plays beneath all the tinsel and presents and lights but it doesn't move you personally and, and experientially if it doesn't grip your heart you're in the very same boat that these religious leaders were i mean you know the story but it doesn't move you to do anything about it see do you really understand christmas Christmas is more than just knowing the story. You need to be moved by what it's telling you. And are you willing to travel beyond what's comfortable and safe to seek him? I mean, if the proclaimers would walk a thousand miles just to be the man who falls down at your door, and these magi were willing to travel those same thousand miles to seek the Messiah, would you walk any length to see the real Jesus? I mean, listen, these religious leaders only needed to travel maybe six or seven miles to see if these wild claims might be true. And they couldn't be bothered. Can you? You know, maybe, just maybe, God in your life is operating outside of your preconceived notions of what you think he ought to be up to. And maybe it's not uh, your unfortunate circumstances that are getting you down. Maybe it's not your own weakness and inabilities that are frustrating you because you can't seem to keep up like everybody else. Maybe it's not bad luck or your own personal weakness that's making you so miserable today. Just maybe that's God at work showing you that you're missing him, that you're missing what he's trying to accomplish in your life because it doesn't fit your grid. And are you even willing to take the short trip to go and check it out? That, that, I think, is at least part of what we learn from these magi. But then secondly, not only does the story tell us that the people who should have cared didn't, but it also reminds us that this is, this is the way it's always been with Christianity. It's always an outsider religion, not an insider one. Christianity is always backwards to the way the world operates. See, Jesus is bringing a gospel that didn't fit the grid of a religion or a philosophy because the jews expected good advice right be moral uh, keep the law avoid sin do your duty and your messiah will come and, and reward you and rescue you but they didn't get good advice what they got was good news that god has broken into history come in human flesh to live the life that we should have lived and to die the death that we deserve to die. And all the religious leaders could say to that was, well, no, no, that can't be. (laughs) That doesn't fit our grid. But you see, Christianity is not about finding a path to please God. Uh, It doesn't have uh, mantras that need to be repeated. It's not about following the rules and obeying the laws, but it's about a person who came to do what we never could do. And he obeyed in our place, and he died in our place, and he does for us what we could never do. That's the news, the good news. And therefore, it's always the weak and the needy who get it first. It's not the wise and the strong. And the Jewish people, listen, they should have known this. Their their entire Old Testament was filled with this message from cover to cover, that God had favor on the younger Abel, not the firstborn Cain. That God chose Isaac and not the elder Ishmael. That God blessed the unwanted, ugly Leah with the line of the Messiah and not the beautiful, favored Rachel. That God chose to bless Jacob and not the elder Esau. That God chose to work through the young brat Joseph and not any of his elder brothers. That God chose David to be king and not any of his older, stronger warrior brothers. And on and on and on it goes throughout the entire Old Testament. And when we get to the New Testament, we see the same thing. God here revealing his good news to these magi, not the religious leaders. To, to dirty shepherds out in the fields, not to the clean, tidy Pharisees who are obsessed with washing their hands and their clothes. Jesus chooses a tax collector and dirty fisherman to be his disciples. And, and Jesus was continually saying things like this to the moral self disciplined religious leaders of his day he says truly I tell you the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you for John came to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe him but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did and even after you saw this you did not repent and believe in him listen this is at the very heart of Christianity that it's the weak and the needy who get it first It's not the wise and the strong because the weak know how weak they are, but the strong don't. Their morality actually masks their need. And as a result, Christianity is more than a religion. It is good news for all the world, for all the world. I mean, think about this. If if you're French or if you're Spanish, you're Catholic, right? Comes with a territory. If If you're English, you're Anglican. Uh, if you're from the Middle East, you're Muslim. If you're from India, you're Hindu or Sikh. If you're European, you're, I guess, an atheist, right? But but, but not. it doesn't work that way with the gospel. The gospel transcends ethnic groups. The gospel transcends national borders. It transcends race and sex and social strata because it's not a club, it's a gospel. It's good news. It's about what Jesus has done. It's not about your culture. It's not about your Southern values. It's not about your comfortable racial expressions of religion. It is God come to us. God come to be with us. And you see, from the very beginning, the Magi tell us that the gospel is for everybody. It's for outsiders and rejects, but it's actually not for the proud and the boastful insiders. And I want you to think about why for a a moment. If all you need is need, and we've talked about this for the last year, that's the core of what it means to be a Christian. If all you need is need, who are the neediest people? It's the broken. It's the outcast, right? Who are the least needy people? What's the accomplished? It's the good. It's the moral. And see, that was, if you think about it, the, the whole point of the story of the prodigal son. It's not a story about how, you know, anybody can come back to God no matter how badly you've messed up though that's certainly true and you can but that's not the point of the story the point of the story is that the rebel son is able to see the folly of his ways because he's so broken and he's so lost and he's so miserable that he can't hide from his brokenness and so of course he comes back home but the elder brother is lost in his goodness he has been so good and so faithful He's never abandoned his father. He's always done what's right. And and, and therefore, it's his goodness that keeps him from actually seeing just how needy his heart really is. And listen, as good Southerners, we need to hear this. Southern religion is all about the good. And it's all about becoming even more good. But the gospel is all about the bad and about their neediness. And like the good religious people of Jesus' day, I think it's possible to be too good to see your need for Jesus. You can be too put together as a person to see any need to reach out for grace. Stop trying to be a good, put-together, I've figured out uh, all how life works kind of person. That's what our culture promotes. But be a mess who runs to Jesus. That's what these, te- these magi are teaching us. I mean, just think about why it was that the very first sermon preached in the New Testament on the day of Pentecost was preached in the language that everybody could understand in their own native tongue. It, it was a reversal of the curse of Babel where the strong had exploited the weak and, uh, to try to preserve and protect their own identity. And it unleashed chaos on the world. And see, the gospel now comes along and it reverses all of that. Jesus has broken into our divided world to bring unity. As the Apostle Paul puts it, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Are you needy enough to latch on to this good news? Or are you so strong that you're still hanging on to good advice? I think that's what the Magi are really teaching us here. Now, finally... Not only did Jesus enter a world of darkness to bring uh, the light of his presence, and not only did he enter into a divided world to bring unity, but lastly, I think Jesus here, the Magi shows us that Jesus is a gift that's deserving of our worship. We're told here that when the Magi arrived in Bethlehem, they were overjoyed, which is an understatement. Literally, they rejoiced exceedingly. In In Greek, it's the most joyous joy that can be expressed. They were literally jumping up and down Celebrating. When's the last time you were that overjoyed by God's presence? See, we don't even have to journey a thousand miles to seek Him. We, we don't even have to make the short six or seven mile jaunt to see if it's true because He resides in our very hearts. This is God with us, God in us, the hope of glory. Does that fill you with exceeding joy? Or is that kind of joy reserved for, you know, winning the lottery or having all your dreams come true? And and listen, how can you tell? Let's do some testing here. How can you tell if you're seeing the real Jesus today? And I think we look at the Magi and say, well, what are you bringing him? See, the Magi brought him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And even back then, gold was the most valuable commodity. It was the the gift that was reserved for kings What things are most precious to you? Is it your time? Is it your talents? Is it your treasures? Is it your career? Maybe your family? Whatever is your most precious is what receives the gold of your heart. And if you're seeking the real Jesus, he's the one who gets that from you. And then we have frankincense. Frankincense was, as the name sounds, an incense. And it was typically burned in temples. Uh, It was part of the sacrifice process, this sweet aroma uh, lifted to the gods. And see, these guys somehow sense that Jesus is a sacrificial king, someone worth offering the sacrifice of their lives to. And so as we look at our own lives, we need to ask the question, where are you burning the frankincense of sacrifice in your life? Are you burning it to your family? Are you burning it to your work and your success? Maybe your friendships or the approval of other people. Maybe your own comfort or your control of your life. Maybe it's just trying to get your act together. We all have places where we tend to, re- that in our lives tend to receive the sacrifice of our lives. And what these magi show us is that if it's Jesus, if it's this Messiah, he will be the object of your sacrifice. And then we have myrrh. Myrrh is basically a, a perfume and it had extraordinary Work. It was incredibly valuable, but it, it wasn't like a bottle of Christian Dior in your dressing table. Rather, this was primarily a perfume that was used in burials. It was actually part of the embalming process, kind of to help cover the smell, right? So why in the world would you bring dead people perfume to a baby shower, <laughs> right? Because somehow they recognize that he was more than a king. They understood that he was more than even a sacrificial king, but somehow, and I can't even imagine how, they knew that he was to be a sacrifice that would bring life to his people by dying for them. Listen, the only way that Jesus could ever pay for the darkness and the brokenness that we have brought to earth was by satisfying the justice of God for our rebellion against him. And Jesus willingly came to do that. And when we remember this, it brings hope. And it can bring hope no matter what you're facing today. Listen, if you have a God who cares for you like that, then who cares whether your dreams come true or not? If you have a God who loves you like that, who cares if you don't get what you think you deserve? If you have a God who loves you like that, who cares if you're able to get your act together or not? If you have a God who loves you like this, nothing else matters. Listen, Christmas is a season of joy. But not because of all the presents and the lights and the trees, but because your God willingly took on flesh and blood and entered into our world to take on the full justice of God for us. To live the life that we all owe to God and to pay for our rebellion, for our rejection against him. Where is your joy exceedingly being expressed this Christmas. Not just intellectually, but personally in your day-to-day experience. Your world may be dark, and it may feel very broken, and it possibly is quite divided. But because of Jesus, God is now with us. And God is now in us. And everybody has access to him. Respond with joy by giving him your all. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it, it is so humbling to look at these magi and think, how in the world could these guys who didn't know you and weren't looking for you not only seek you but find you and be overjoyed at the thought? I, it just, it's, it's baffling, but it's also convicting and humbling because we who do know the truth um, don't often get this excited about it, and we're not really willing to, to make the sacrifices. Uh, of our lives center around you, Lord. I pray that you would forgive us for forgetting and believing the lie that somehow we can find life apart from you. That's the, the essence of sin. It it taints our hearts. We're born with that, but yet, Lord, we have been freed from that because of the message of Christmas, that you have broken into our world to take on in our place what we could never do. And I pray that you would help for us to remember that today and throughout the season of Christmas this year, so that we might find our hope and our joy in you, and not in everything working together, not in all of our plans uh, coming to fruition, but because of Jesus. Lord, teach us what it means to find our hope and our joy and our life in you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.